you for joining us today here at Victory. At Victory Church, we are a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. Join us as we begin today's message. Amen. He is worthy of all of our praise, isn't he? Amen. Man, it is so good to worship with you guys. And if you didn't know this, we are continuing on in worship because that's what this is. Uh, you know, worship isn't just music. I think a lot of times we get in that frame of mind like worship is, is music. And don't get me wrong, it is an incredible form of worship, but everything that we do is an act of worship when it's something that's done for the Lord. And so I'm, I, I'm loving worshiping with you guys. I always love that, and, and I'm excited to continue on in worship as we dive into the Word together. Um, I'm excited to be here. Anybody else excited to be here? Amen. Amen. All right. I am. I'm excited to be here, man. Um, I'm not going to lie, I haven't had a busy, busy, busy week. Has anybody else had in here had a busy week? Anybody in here? Yeah, yeah, it's like almost all the hands going up. Man, life in general is busy, isn't it? It's a, amen. Yeah, life in general is busy, especially through, through certain seasons. And, and I don't think I'm the only one that struggles with, obviously, you know, there are other people in this room too. You guys can relate. We are busy people. I know just this past week, man, I was trying to get together with one of my buddies. Um, he's actually a pastor friend of mine, and we try to get together every, every so often. It's been a little while, so I called him, and we're talking on the phone. We got the calendars out. He's got his. I got mine. We're looking through. We're trying to figure out a time that we can both get together, maybe in the morning, afternoon, whatever, just to grab a cup of coffee for like 45 minutes, right? And so I kid you not, it took like 10 minutes for me, if not more, for me and this guy to figure out one time for about 45 minutes, we could just get together to grab a cup of coffee at some point. And it's going to be like two months from now, you know? And so as I was doing that, I was looking at my calendar and I'm like, this is crazy. It just reminded me how busy I am. And again, I don't think I'm the only one. Like, man, we, it's no mystery. We live in a very busy society. Very, very busy, always on the go, always doing things, jumping from one thing to the next, one project to the next. And, you know, a, a lot of times in the past, especially, we were looked at this, this country, especially in one particular city, New York City, as the city that never what? city that never sleeps, right? Well, that's been a long time now that it's been called the city that never sleeps. I think, honestly, that has become kind of the norm for our society as a whole. We are this society that, you know, metaphorically, quote-unquote, never sleeps. We are always on the go, constantly doing, going, you know, and even when we have those times to relax, that's what's so crazy. Even when we have these times to, like, relax, you know, and just kind of just sit there and, and just enjoy it, it's almost like we get a little antsy, like, man, I need to be doing something right now. Anybody ever feel that? Like, yeah, yeah, I see some smiles out there. Like we do, we are always on the go. And what happens is we start getting so busy doing all these little things in life. A lot of times good things, but we get so busy that we like lose sight of the bigger picture. It's like, why are we even doing all of this in the first place? Has anybody ever felt like that before? Like, why am I doing all of the things that I am doing? It's so busy. And the thing is, the Christian life, for us as followers of Jesus, in a lot of ways, guys, we do the same thing. We get so busy doing all these different little things. And a lot of times it can be good things. It can be things like, you know, being generous, uh, lending a helping hand, uh, you know, being a good neighbor, going to church, reading the Bible, whatever. We get so busy doing these things. But what happens is while we're being so busy doing all these things, we tend to either lose sight of or maybe we never even fully grasp the bigger picture. Like, why we are doing all of the things that we are doing in the first place, the reason 
for it all. Like, what is God's objective for all of these things that we're doing? Another way of saying this is, what is God's mission? What is God's mission? Because until we understand the mission of God, hear me, we're not going to be able to understand the answer of why. Why we do all these things. Why we're here. Why Jesus came. Why follow Jesus and why do all the other things that go along with it. Why is that? It's all tied into the mission. In particular, the mission of God. And as our big idea states, God's mission, God's mission is seen through his covenants. God's mission is seen through his covenants. And one of those covenants is the covenant that God made with David. It's called the Davidic covenant. And we're going to be diving into that today. And as we do, we're not just going to see one covenant. We're also going to be able to see God's overall mission, the reason for it all. Before we do, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this body of believers that you've gathered together. Thank you for your word that we get to gather together and we get to draw from, we get to learn more about you. We get to come into this deeper, intimate relationship with you, Jesus. And I pray that if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, um, that's far from you, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would work that miracle that only you can work. I pray that you would, you would save them, you would open their eyes and their hearts uh, to your grace and that you would save them. Help them to step into that relationship with you. I pray for the rest of us. I pray that you would continue drawing us closer to you. I pray that we wouldn't be people that would be shut off to response, thinking that's only for salvation, but understanding that this is a continual thing. This is a continual thing. It's a relationship as we're growing into a deeper, deeper relationship with you, knowing you all the more. So we thank you and we praise you for that opportunity. Holy Spirit, I pray that you take over this, pray that you speak in and through me, a broken, simple man to your people. Pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so if you are just now tracking with us for the first time, if you're here for the first time or maybe you've missed a lot of sermons, uh, first off, I want to tell you, man, I am so, so glad that you are here. Um, and I've got a couple pieces of good news for you. First of all, uh, we're in the middle of a series. It's called Heart Transplant. It's on the life of King David. But the thing is, um, for one, you can actually go back. You can listen to all the sermons that you've missed if you would like. Uh, you're able to do that either on the church app, which is free. You can download that. Or you can go on the website and you can listen to them. But the other piece of good news for you, if you're just now joining us or if you've missed a lot of sermons, is that you're not going to be lost. All right? Even though we're in the middle of a series, you're not going to be lost because these are kind of standalone sermons okay so for those of you that have been tracking with us at this point in time where we're at in the story in the life of king david is uh, we have actually fast forwarded several years from where we were at last week all right so several years have passed and a lot has happened um, in those years a couple of things that we need to understand that's happened in that kind of in-between season is for one um the king of the nation of israel saw the former king now is dead he is gone. He's dead. He actually died in battle. He actually, long story short, ended up killing, taking his own life because he was getting overwhelmed. His sons had been killed. Everybody was getting killed off in the army. And so rather than capturing him and torturing him, he decides to take his own life. So that has already taken place. On top of that, guess who's on the throne? Finally, David is finally on the throne. He's able to come out of the caves and into the palace. And so that's what's going on. He's been on the throne for a little bit of time now, and a lot is, uh, is going on. A lot is happening. But 
Long story short, he has been extremely successful. Things are going his way. Um, God is blessing him. God is blessing the kingdom. Uh, from the world's perspective, it's like David is on top of the world all over again, sitting on the throne. And that's where we dive into the story and to the text that we're going to be in today. So now we're in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 7. I'm saying that slowly so you guys have time to catch up. 2 Samuel chapter 7 starting with verse 1. It's up on the screen as well if you need it. When the king had settled into his palace and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, the king, by the way, the king is David, said to the prophet Nathan, look, I am living in a cedar house while the ark of God sits inside tent curtains. So Nathan told the king, go and do all that is on your mind. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. So pause there for a moment in this story. So at this point in time, David is essentially kicking back with the prophet Nathan. The prophet Nathan is essentially uh, Israel's like lead pastor at this point in time. All right, so that's, that's kind of who he is. And so these guys, David and the prophet Nathan, they're kicking back. They're chilling. They are 2019 version of this. They are sipping on their little vanilla, you know, frappuccinos, iced vanilla frappuccinos. They are dressed to the T in the best clothing that money can buy. They're Armani suits with, you know, uh, laced with uh, silk and uh, satin, and uh, they got the aviators on. They are peering out over the kingdom, and they're just taking it all in. They're taking everything in. Because at this point in time, David is now the king. He's probably reminiscing, remembering everything that happened, how he was in the cave, and all these things that happened to him. But now there's peace in the land. There's prosperity in the land, and he's taking all of this in. He doesn't have to run for his life, doesn't have to fight any battles. There's not only prosperity, but the land is extremely healthy as well. And so again, David is feeling like he's on top of the world. It's kind of like that that Lego movie with that, uh, that song in the Lego movie, Everything is Awesome. That's kind of like how David is feeling right now. Everything is awesome in his life. And so they're taking all of this in, peering out at the kingdom. And then all of a sudden, as he's peering out, looking over the kingdom, his eyes fall on one particular thing, one particular place. And it's the tabernacle. And that's where his eyes fall. And so if you don't know what the tabernacle is, you're like, dude, did you just make up that word? I didn't just make that up. That is an actual thing. It's an, it's an actual uh, 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 thing that they had back in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And what that was, kind of uh, Tabernacle 101, is this is the place where literally the presence of God would dwell. Like the presence of God, God himself, would live there. All right, and, and so that's kind of what the tabernacle was. And so later on, it was actually David's son Solomon that would build the temple, and so the presence of God would go to be in the temple. And then now because of Jesus Christ, guess where the presence of God dwells or lives now? He lives inside of us as followers of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian today, the presence of God literally lives inside of you. So everywhere that you go, his presence is is with you. How amazing is that? So amazing. And that all of that is because of Jesus. But this is before Jesus' time. This is before Jesus came. Before the temple, before all of that, we have the tabernacle where the presence of God is. And something that we need to understand about this is the tabernacle is a tent. It's literally a tent. 
And it's not even some kind of like a fancy, you know, state-of-the-art kind of tent, uh, you know, in high speed or anything like that. Nothing, you know, crazy elaborate about this thing. Actually, this thing is several hundred years old at this point in time. So it's almost like this rickety old tent that has stood the test of time at this point. And so David is standing up there in his palace. Again, the Armani suit. He's got, you know, sipping his little latte aviators, looking out over his kingdom, feeling like he's on top of the world. And he looks down and he peers at this tabernacle, rickety old tent where the presence of God is at. And he looks at the prophet Nathan. He's essentially like, man, there is something really messed up about this. There is something wrong right now. Like we are sitting up here in this elaborate, fancy palace, sipping on these lattes and nice suits and stuff. And God's presence is in this rickety old tent. That thing's going to blow down with the first sandstorm. This is messed up. We got to do something. To which the prophet Nathan essentially looks at David and like, you know what? Hey, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Let's do that. And so from the outside looking in, that's kind of the scene in this situation. From the outside looking in, it looks like everything's good. Like this is a good thing. Really, like for one, think about everything that David has been through. David went through all of these different caves, literally hunted down as if he was some kind of a wild animal to be killed, right? And this whole time he's running for his life. And now he's finally in the palace. Nobody is hunting him down. Nobody's trying to kill him. There's actually peace in the land as well, right? But then on top of that, everything is really going well in the nation of Israel too, right? So, so in David's perspective, and think about everything that David had to do to get to the throne, he's finally there. From David's perspective, it's almost like, man, this is good. Like, he should be taking this in. They should, he deserves kind of a moment to take this in and to, you know, just kind of really look out at the kingdom and look at everything that has happened and just kind of reminisce, right? That's a good thing, right? It's not a bad thing. And then the other thing, it also seems like this is a good thing because, you know, he's looking down at this tabernacle that the presence of God is, is in and he wants to do something about him he wants to take care of God he wants to build God a fancy house like that's a good thing right or so you would think but the thing is God is about to completely rock David's world he he is about to completely blow his mind and do something completely unexpected that David and Nathan never saw coming because God is about to reject David's offer He's about to completely reject David's offer. And it generates the question, why? Why would God reject David's offer to build him some kind of a fancy house, to do something to help God, right? Why would God reject this? And the thing is, there's actually several different reasons for this. But we can't find out what those reasons are until we keep on reading. So let's keep on reading and find out why. This is verse 4. It says, But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go to my servant David and say, this is what the Lord says. Are you to build me a house to dwell in? From the time I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until today, I have not dwelt in a house. Instead, I have been moving around with a tent as my dwelling. In all my journeys with all the Israelites, have I ever spoken a word to one of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, asking, why haven't you built me a house of cedar so in other words the first reason that god rejected david's offer to build him some kind of a fancy house is because god is exactly where he wants to be he's exactly where he wants to be god is essentially asking david in this text man 
where in the world did you get this idea that I want some kind of an elaborate house or I want you to build me one right now? Where did you get that? Man, I didn't, I didn't ask you that. I didn't say anything about this. Where did you get that, David? What, what, what you think like the God of the universe came down to this finite little planet, this finite little people group, and this finite little nation, which by the way, God himself put together all so that they could build him a fancy house. That's what this was, huh? Is that what you think, David? See, the problem was David had completely missed the whole point in this situation. That's the problem. And not only that, but specifically, David's problem was David was a doer. David was all about, you know, doing things, doing this, doing that. He was the guy that made things happen, constantly going from one project to another, not just starting, but finishing them. That's one of the reasons David was so successful. He's a leader. He's a a warrior, right? And that's what he does one of the reasons he's so successful and here's the thing that's not a problem but remember the context of the situation David has constantly been on the go David has constantly been fighting different battles leading different people doing different things being very successful at it now remember what's going on in the nation of Israel there's peace in the land there's no battles everything's great everything's going well the nation is also wealthy nobody's trying to kill them and so as David is peering out over the kingdom not only is he reminiscing and taking this all in and this is great but it's almost like he's getting a little antsy it's almost like he's looking for the next project to be fixed you get it almost like he's looking for the next project to be fixed and then he looks out over the nation of Israel and then what does he see he sees the tabernacle He sees this rickety old tent that the presence of God has been for the last several hundred years as he's standing in his really elaborate, fancy palace. And as he peers out of that, he he starts to feel bad, but then he also starts to look at it as the next project for him to fix. He's going to help God. But the problem is, and there's really several problems with this, but one of the problems with this is the fact that God is exactly where he wants to be. God is in the tabernacle at that point in time because God, catch this, he wants to be in the tabernacle. And the reason that he wants to be in the tabernacle at that point in time, catch this, don't miss this, it's because God wants to be with his people. God wants to be with his people. And the rest of his people are not in some fancy elaborate palace like David is. See, in other words, God is not about the bling. He's about the people. He's about his people. He wants to be where his people are. That's the first reason that God completely rejects David's offer to make him some kind of a fancy house. But he keeps on going. That was just one reason. Let's find out what else God says. This is verse eight. He says, so now this is what you are to say to my servant, David. Remember, God's talking to the prophet Nathan, telling him to relay this to David. All coming from God though. This is what the Lord of armies, I love how he refers to him, the Lord of armies says, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flocks, to be ruler over my people, Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a great name for you like that of the greatest on the earth. Notice in this text, just two verses, two verses, God says the words either I or my six times. Six times. In two verses. I, my, I, my, I, my. Two verses. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. So at first, what God does, David makes this offer, and God goes kind of easy on him. I mean, he's like, 
you know what? No, no, I don't want you to make me a fancy house, okay? Because I'm exactly where I want to be. I'm in the tabernacle because I want to be there. Why? Because I want to be with my people. Kind of easing into this a little bit, right, as he's rejecting this. But then God ramps it up a couple of notches. And he essentially says through this text that we just read, by the way, who in the world do you think you are? Who in the world do you think you are? Well, you think you, because you took down some kind of a giant several years ago that you're like a big man. And now you're solving everybody's problems. Is that what it is? Or maybe you think because you've won all of these battles and all of these wars that you're some kind of a leader and head honcho. And now you're the guy that everybody needs to go through for help. Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe it's because you're the king. You're sitting on the throne. You've got the crown. And now everybody needs to come to you. Maybe that's what it is. You're the big guy on campus. You're going to fix everybody's problems, including mine. Maybe, maybe that's what this is. Well, well, hey, big boy, let, let, let me ask you something. Who was it that took down that giant all those years ago exactly? Can you, can you tell me who that was? And who was it that won all of those battles and all of those wars for you? And when I, that's one of the things he said, winning all those battles, when I won all those battles and all those wars, I also kept your scrawny butt alive all of those times. Time after time after time, I'm still keeping your butt alive because you've got peace in the land. You think that's because of you? And by the way, while we're on the subject, whose throne exactly do you think that you are sitting on? See, what God was essentially telling David is, listen to me, I'm reminding him in this moment, he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the creator and the sustainer of the universe and everything in it. And essentially asking David, dude, do you not think that I have all the resources, all the power, all the authority to make myself the most elaborate, fanciest, biggest palace house? I'll make both of them that you or anybody ever else has or will seem do you not think that i can do that david do you not think i could do that see in this moment what god was essentially trying to convey to david and the same thing that he's trying to convey to us through this text and this is the second reason that god rejects david's offer to build him some kind of a fancy house and that is because god does not need our pity god doesn't need our pity And the reason that God doesn't need our pity is because God already owns everything. He already owns everything. And when I say that he owns everything, I'm not just talking about he owned everything in the nation of Israel. I'm not even just talking about how he owned everything around the nation of Israel. Or he owned the the world and everything in it. Or the galaxy, which was the Milky Way, which, by the way, they didn't even know about. They didn't even know existed. He owns the entire universe and everything in it. That is why God does not need our pity. So at this point in time, remember, this is after David and the prophet Nathan, they're peering out at the, at the kingdom. And David's looking down and his gaze goes down on the tabernacle. This is after all of that because God came to the prophet Nathan that night and he told David to tell him this. So this is all happening later. So I'm imagining David is probably, you know, maybe sitting on his throne as the prophet Nathan is conveying this message to him. And so as he's sitting on this throne, hearing this message that God is conveying to him, I'm imagining he's probably getting a little kind of restless, a little uncomfortable, almost like he's getting humbled in the moment. God is kind of popping the little pride bubble that's trying to form over his head. Maybe the 2019 version taking the aviators off and thinking a little less of himself and a little bit more of God. 
in the moment as he's reminded exactly who he's talking about. But the thing is, God is just getting started. God's not finished yet. Because the third reason that God completely denies or rejects David's offer to make him some kind of a fancy house is because God is about to completely flip the script on David. He's about to completely flip the script. Because, see, David thought that he was going to do something to take care of God, as if God needed him to take care of him. He was going to do something to take care of God. And in the process, he was going to kind of, you know, earn God's favor and, and look good in front of God, right? That's kind of what's going on in his mind. That's what he was thinking. But not only was God going to reject his offer, he was going to completely turn the tables, and he was going to tell David how he was going to take care of him. And not only how he was going to take care of David, but how he was going to take care of the entire world in the process. And when I say the entire world, what we need to understand is I'm not just talking about the people that were alive in that day and age. I'm talking about everybody in the world that ever has lived all the way to the beginning of time and every will live all the way to the end of the age. David was, our God was about to tell David how he's going to take care of him and everybody in the world throughout every single generation. Let's check out what God had to say. This is verse 10. He says, I will designate a place for my people, Israel, and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not continue to oppress them as they have done. Ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people, Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Notice he keeps on saying, I, my, I, my, I, my, continually reminding David who exactly is in charge here. That's on purpose. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. Let me say that again. The Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I, and, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. Is this ringing any bells? Reminding you of, any, of anything? I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever. Don't miss this. Forever. And your throne will be established forever. So in this scene, God didn't just flip the script on David. He completely blew his mind. Completely blew his mind. And ours as well when we, when we understand what happened. Because see, David, again, he thought that he was going to do something to take care of God as if God needed him to take care of him, right? He was going to do something to take care of God. And in the process, he was going to impress God. But the problem with that is, number one, God doesn't need us to take care of him. And number two, God does not want us to try to impress him. See, in this scene, David had completely forgotten the whole point. He had for completely forgotten the whole reason for it all. And God is reminding him about this, reminding him of why he came, why he is there in the first place. And so he's about to remind David what his mission was. And catch this, still is, still is. And he's going to do this by making a promise or a, a commitment with David, which is what we call a covenant. 
And this particular covenant, there's several of them in the Bible, it's called the Davidic covenant. And there's several different promises. We just read it. There's several different things that God promised David. But the main thing that we need to take from this, that we need to understand, is that God promised David that through David's bloodline, through his lineage, would, he would establish his kingdom and that his kingdom, catch this, would last forever. And when I say forever, I mean forever and ever and ever and ever, never-ending kingdom. Never-ending kingdom. Because after David would come several different kings. Would come his son Solomon, his son after that, his son after that, his son after that. All kinds of kings through David's bloodline would come. Some good and some bad. Some straight up horrible. Not just as kings, but as people in general. And that's why, by the way, when we get to verse 14, if we were reading that and you were like, what is that talking about? Talking about how some would disobey. He would disobey God and God would discipline him. It's because this text, what we need to understand, it has kind of a double meaning to it. It's talking about, for one, the kings that would come after David through his bloodline, his sons, right, that would follow, some good and some horrible. That's part of what it's talking about, but more specifically, the main thing that this text is talking about, the main one that this text is talking about, is the one king that would eventually come. The one king, the ultimate king, the perfect king that would come. The king of kings and the Lord of lords, who would one day sit on God's throne and rule over God's kingdom forever. And the most mind-blowing part about this isn't just the fact that he would sit on God's throne forever, but the most mind-blowing part about this, catch this, is the fact that God himself would be that king. God himself would be that king. So in other words, let's flesh this out. This is essentially what God is saying to David in this moment. This is why this is so mind-blowing, blew his mind, and should ours as well. It's because God was saying that one day he himself would come down to earth and that he himself would sit on his, meaning God's own throne, and that he himself would reign over his, meaning God's own kingdom, forever, forever. And by the way, that king's name is Jesus. That's who that king is. It's Jesus and Jesus Christ, God himself, God in flesh, that's who Jesus is. Catch this, did all of that, don't miss this, he did all of that so that he could simply be with his people. So that he could be with his people. Now think about that. Let that, let that soak in for a moment. See, one of the most amazing things about the covenants in the Bible, and there's several of them. There's not just the Davidic covenant. But one of the most amazing things about the covenants that we see in the Bible is the fact that God's plan of redemption, the God's plan of redemption for the world, that's the overarching theme of the whole Bible. God's plan of redemption can be seen in the covenants. And through the covenants, catch this, through the covenants, God reestablishes a relationship with his people. And guys, that's the whole point. That is the whole point. See, what God wants us to understand, what he wanted David and all of us to understand, when it comes to all of these covenants, including the covenant with David, is this, that God does not care about your religion, hear me, God cares about 
relationship. He doesn't want religion. He wants relationship. Because religion is all about what you can do for God, how you can help God, how you can impress God, which is exactly what David was thinking in this moment. And then God reminded him of a few things, completely flipped the script on him and blew his mind. Because listen to me, God does not want religion. It's not about religion. It's not about what you can do. It's not about trying to impress God. Hear me, it is about what God has already done for you. That's the point. It's about what God has already done for you. And so keeping that in mind, keeping that in mind, if you remember at the beginning, I told you that the main focus or the big idea is that God's mission is seen through his covenants. You remember that? God's mission is seen through his covenants. So it generates the question, well, then what is God's mission? What's God's mission? What is the mission of God? You ready for the answer? You ready? You are. You are. You and you and you and you and you. We are the mission of God because God does not care about your religion. He cares about your relationship with him and with his people. That's the point. That's the point. And listen, could you imagine if that became our focus, as we follow Jesus, if that was our focus, relationship with Jesus, relationship with his people, guys, listen to me, that would change everything about the way that we view following Jesus. It would change everything about the way that we view following Jesus because it's about relationship, not about religion. It would completely change our lives, our family, our church, our community. We could be completely transformed for the better. Because we would be less focused on religion, what we can do for God, how we can impress God, and more focused on a relationship with Jesus, which is God's mission for the world. As the worship team comes up, you guys can come on up. I want to end by asking you guys two questions. And there's one question for two separate groups of people. The first question is for the people that are Jesus followers, people that would consider themselves Christians in the room. And my question for you is, is it possible, is it possible that maybe you have gotten so distracted and so focused on your religion that you've completely missed the relationship. Is that possible? You've been so distracted on the things that you think you need to do for God that you have completely missed out on the relationship. Or maybe on the flip side of that, maybe you have gotten so lackadaisical that you have completely missed out on the relationship. Is that possible? Think about it. And my other question, and I'm going to end with this one, is for the second group of people, people in here that maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. You've never given your life to Jesus and followed in his footsteps. Then my question for you is, are you ready to step into that relationship? Are you ready to step into the relationship? Because, guys, that's what this is all about. It's not about what you can do for him. 
That's about what he's already done for you. That's the point. That's the point. It is about a relationship with Jesus and with his family. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have everything right in your life. You're not going to. I definitely don't. But thank God that he does. And he wants to have a relationship with you. So if you're here today and you've never started that relationship, if you've never decided to start following Jesus, then are you ready to start that relationship? As we stand today, you guys can go ahead and stand. And as we sing one last song to God and and worship Him and, and praise Him because of what He's done, I want to encourage you to think about that. And I want to encourage you to respond, not just people that are responding for faith, responding to Jesus for salvation for the first time, but all of us, Christians, followers of Jesus alike. And if there's something that you need prayer for, if you have prayer requests, listen, the altar is open. I'd love to pray with you. You've got questions, whatever. This is the place where we can do that. It's not like it's just confined to this one time a week on Sunday mornings where you can do this, but there's something so amazing, so powerful about this where we can do this together as the family of God that we are. So I want to encourage you, step out, come down, whatever it is that God's putting on your heart. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I, just want, I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is... Um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires. You know, Turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life God and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's this symbol of death to the old self 
and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you've stepped out uh, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Uh, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.